Good news. My new book is finally here. It's called Handbook for the Heartbroken, A Woman's Path from Devastation to Rebirth, and you can order it now wherever books are sold. I wrote this book after the five-year span between 2016 and 2020 when I experienced serial heartbreaks that rocked literally every area of my life, my health, relationships, money, career, social status, and even my very sense of self. And along the way, I really got to experience firsthand how dysfunctional our culture's relationship is to loss. I saw how we live in a heartbreak illiterate world that's obsessed with success and shackled with isolation and ignorant of how valuable our suffering can be for our growth and our evolution, not only as individuals, but also as a collective. So this book expands the conversation around loss beyond just breakups and bereavement, although we definitely cover those too, in order to include falls from grace of all kinds, personal, professional, and collective. So whether you're experiencing hardship now or know you have past hurts that are holding you back in certain ways and still need healing, this book is here to support you. It's also a great book to gift to clients, family members, friends, just other women in your world who are going through a challenging time. It will show you that it's only through fully turning toward your heartbreak with support, courage, and compassion that you can heal. So within the loving pages of this book, you will have full permission to fall apart and slowly, organically find your way back to greater wholeness. I'm truly excited to share this with you. It was not a joy to live this journey, but it really was a joy to write it. And you can find it again wherever books are sold and the audio version of the book is available as well. If you would like some gifts to accompany you on your heartbreak journey, you can get those at handbookfortheheartbroken.com. Those are free. Whenever you order books, you can just send in your invoice or your receipt and we'll send you those accompanying gifts. Enjoy. Hello. Welcome to the Sarah Avon Stover podcast, a space to come home to your inner wisdom. I'm Sarah, best-selling author and teacher of women's yoga, meditation, and spirituality. And this podcast was born out of my own desire to hear Dharma talks, which are what the Buddhist tradition calls wisdom teachings, through the distinct lens and voice of the sacred feminine. Here, I'll share these very talks, along with rich conversations about all different facets of the feminine spiritual journey. But above all, I created this because I believe that when a woman gets still and quiet enough to hear her inner wisdom, she's able to live her true path in the world. I hope this podcast helps you do just this. I'm happy you're here. Let's dive in. Hello friends, today I'm sharing with you a Dharma talk that I gave a couple of months ago in a 13-week online course that I taught throughout the winter and early spring called the Book of She Club. And in it, we covered one chapter within my second book per week. And the particular talk that I'm sharing today is one that I gave during week 10 
when we covered chapter 10 called Turning on Your Brights. Now, since the book of She outlines the 13 stages of the heroine's journey, which is a woman's path to turn crisis into opportunity in our lives, this particular chapter was the first chapter in the ascent portion of the heroine's journey coming after the time in in the underworld, and it's called Turning on Your Brights, which is a phrase that one of my former teachers in feminine spiritual practice used about how we can turn on our radiance as women at will and just learning how to flip that switch. I felt like this was a relevant talk to share right now, given that we're all in the midst of a collective ascent. Of course, we don't know what's coming around the corner, but for the most part, We're coming out of the underworld of the pandemic and adjusting our eyes to the light and adjusting our senses to more joy and more pleasure. So I felt like this talk would be supportive in this process for all of us. In addition to that, I wanted to let you know that later this summer, I'm hosting a free online gathering to support us all in coming together to cultivate more pleasure, more connection, and more fun in our lives this season. And it's called Women's Summer of Celebration. It will span over five weeks from July 21st to August 18th. We'll meet for about 45 minutes via Zoom each Wednesday during that time. And each week, a new guest teacher will join us to lead us through experiences from creative writing to sensual dance to devotional music therapy and more. Uh, Consider it an online party that is also introvert friendly. And you can join us. Again, it's free at womensyogateachertraining.com forward slash summer womensyogateachertraining.com forward slash summer. I'd love to see you there and to celebrate and enjoy more of this season with you. And for now, here is my Dharma talk on opening to more pleasure. So we're moving into part four of the heroine's journey this week. And part four is the ascent. So During the ascent is when we start to adjust our eyes to the light, just like we just did coming out of meditation, but in a more obviously extensive way if we've been in a dark season of life, if we've really been outside of life. So the ascent um, can take time depending upon how long you've been down. It is a transition. And there's a difference between change and transition. Change is something that happens suddenly. Like there's a pandemic or you lose your job or someone breaks up with you. And then the transition is just the period of time in which you work with that change, dance with that change, change, adjust with that change in your life. So transition takes longer and the ascent is a transition. 
because you're not the same person going up that you were going down. And there can be grief in that. There can be disorientation in that. You might find yourself wanting to keep going back, but we all know that there's no going back. There's only going forward. So even though things can start to feel more normalized, more positive in certain ways, it's still a process. And just as we need to be patient with our time in the underworld, we also need to be patient with ourselves and with life as we come back into it and just not expect things to just fall back into place all of a sudden. I want to read a quote, and I know that you all have heard this before, but as I, as I read it, I really want you to listen like with beginner's ears and really listen in terms of what we're exploring today of the first piece of the ascent of turning on your brights. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, famous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We are born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us. It's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we're liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. And that's from Marian Williamson in her book, A Return to Love. So similarly, just like we're more afraid of our light than our dark, Carl Jung coined the term the golden shadow, where we're actually more afraid of these really expansive, bright qualities in ourselves that have gone into hiding than we are of kind of the scary, miserable ones that we tend to focus on so much. Harville Hendricks uh, has written a number of books. He wrote a book called The Upper Limit. And The Upper Limit presents something similar, that we all have a certain set point for the amount of happiness or success that our systems, that our consciousness will allow for us to experience. 
And once we, we reach that limit, that upper limit, negativity is going to flood in because it's like this is too much for our systems. It's also known as the rubber band effect. And you may have experienced in this in this in your life if you've had a really expansive experience, maybe in your spiritual practice, or you go on a great trip somewhere, or uh, a relationship is going really great. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, you get in a fight or um, after a great trip, you feel depressed. There's there's um, kind of a, a boomerang, a rubber band effect where your system expanded so much, maybe a little bit more than it felt comfortable. And so it kind of shrinks, shrink wraps back until it can kind of find find a new set point again. Abraham Maslow, who talked about the hierarchy of needs and also coined the term self-actualization, he named something called the Jonah complex, referring to the biblical story of Jonah and the whale. And I don't know the exact story from the Bible, so if any of you out there are more Bible scholars than me and you know more of Jonah's story, um, the gist is that God shared Jonah's destiny with him and Jonah um, turned away from it. And so the Jonah complex is the fear of success and the fear of being one's best that prevents us from self-actualization or from realizing our own potential. And it's the fear of our own greatness. It's the avoidance of our destiny or the avoidance of really exercising our gifts and talents to the extent that we're really capable of. And in some of his writing, Abraham Maslow wrote, we fear our highest possibilities. We are generally afraid to become that which we can glimpse in our most perfect moments, under the most perfect conditions under conditions of great courage. We enjoy and even thrill to the godlike possibilities we see in ourselves in such peak moments. And yet we simultaneously shiver with weakness, awe, and fear before these very same possibilities. So often we run away from the responsibilities dictated or rather suggested by nature, by fate, even sometimes by accident just as Jonah tried to run in vain from his fate. So it's important that we bring this into view because ultimately the spiritual journey is about uncovering the greatness that is already and always within all of us. So the spiritual journey, as we've talked a lot about, it's not about perfecting or fixing. A lot of masculine spiritual traditions are very hierarchical. And they can make us feel like we're trying to climb a ladder to go from an unperfected state to a perfected state. I remember in my 20s when I was just first really getting involved in Buddhism and I was living in Thailand and practicing a lot in 
Thai Buddhist monasteries. And these monasteries are um, very sexist. Women have to sit in the, the back of the meditation hall and be the last in line to get food. So by the time we get our food, it's all cold and, you know, all the good stuff is taken. And uh, I was okay with that because I just wanted to study, to learn. There were some aspects of the, those teachings there that um, maybe it just fit how I was at that time where I really felt like my spiritual practice was about perfecting myself, whether that was perfecting a yoga posture, perfecting my body, cleansing my mind of defilements, needing to get somewhere, prove something. But the older I've gotten and the more feminine and yin my, my practice and disposition have gotten, I really realize that you know everything is already God. And I know that that word can trigger things in people, so replace that with whatever word is meaning for you, if it's love, consciousness, universal intelligence. So it's not about trying to get rid of certain emotions or mental states. It's about really being in them, not necessarily attaching to them or making up stories for about ourselves around them, but just letting ourselves experience the spectrum of this being human. We spoke about this a lot last week in terms of just relaxing into what's here. My my mom had a medical procedure on her heart this week and it's brought up a lot of um, a lot of tenderness, a lot of sadness, a lot of grief, you know, even though she's okay um right now it just just brought up that vulnerability of oh yeah like i've known intellectually that my mom will pass one day but it's getting closer just feel feeling that um that transition getting closer and just even today right now that that tenderness that sadness is still here and just just letting it, letting it be here. So our internal nature, it is like the sky. It is like the, the blue sky, unobstructed by clouds. And sometimes clouds come in, grief, anger, sadness. But we know, we remember behind, behind that, that the sun is always shining that the sky is always blue. So this essential nature that is ever present, one, we forget that it's here. And there's a lot of stories and a lot of traditions that say, you know, that the divine hid itself in the very place that we would never think to look which is right inside of our own hearts. We look everywhere else outside of us, all around. 
Where is the holy? Where is that reflection of me? And all the while, it's just, it's right here. It is, it is who we are. So we've talked about parts. We've talked about how we are a multiplicity of parts. And I know that we've all had the experience of feeling like we have multiple personalities. You know, we say, a part of me feels scared. A part of me feels excited. Part of me feels insecure. We know we have these parts. That's healthy and normal and natural. And what's also true is that we have self-energy. And this self-energy is how this essential nature of ours, this blue sky nature, expresses itself. So it's how the divine expresses itself through our actions, through our words, through our relationality. And we've all had that experience of being in our self-energy. Maybe it's when we're doing something that we really love or we're connecting with someone that we really love or we've got on a retreat and been out in nature and we just feel really settled and peaceful inside or we're doing something that's of service. So that that essential nature expresses itself through self-energy and every single human being has self-energy. We're born with it and nothing we can do can take it away. It might be occluded by a lot of clouds, but it's still there. And not only that, but each of our parts has self-energy. So some weeks ago, we were looking at like the inner critic and the inner perfectionist, the inner patriarch. Those parts also have self-energy. And we talked about how when we're born, our parts are all in harmony. We're born with our parts. Our parts are in harmony. But different wounding that happens in our youth creates different structures for our inner parts. So some of them take on extreme roles. If you grew up in an environment where you felt unsafe in any way, some of your parts needed to take on more responsibility, become like mini adults very early on. So they took on these extreme roles of hyper responsibility, maybe hyper criticism to keep you in line or really undermining you so you didn't shine too bright making you doubt yourself. And all of that was there with the intention to keep you safe. And then as you get older, those parts get more and more extreme and more and more unmanageable. And especially when we get into our 30s, 40s, 50s, it's just not sustainable for the system. And things like the heroine's journey can happen where we need to go in and heal those parts, restore a sense of balance to the system. 
And what we find when these extreme parts that we meet in the underworld that maybe are sending out warning flares in our lives or chaos in our lives through like addiction or self-harming, intense inner criticism, relationships falling apart, uh, we start to see we start to see the long term impact of these parts, health crises, and how unsustainable they are. We go into the underworld, and as we heal them, we see that they're actually hide they're actually protecting very young, vulnerable parts of ourselves. Uh, in internal family systems, those are called our exiles. And the extreme parts that have been covering them up are called managers or protectors. Like we spoke about some weeks ago, another kind of uh, protector is a firefighter. Like when there's when when vulnerability floods the system from an exile, and we just we can't be without vulnerability. The firefighter tries to put out that fire and you know reach for a drink or chocolate or shopping or scrolling on Instagram to to soothe us to distract us from that vulnerability or from that shame or insecurity that's arising. So when we're in the underworld, we also start to reparent these younger parts of ourselves. And in doing that, they slowly begin to heal. And they're able to embody their innate gifts. This is why Carl Jung said, the gold is in the dark. So say that you're healing an eating disorder. And we all know how dark eating disorders can get. They can kill us. Going back to one of our first weeks, uh, the eating disorder is an expression of the death mother, part of us that wants us to die. But as we go in and we get to know the parts of us that are operating behind that eating disorder, managers, firefighters, we start to build relationships of trust with those parts. Over time, they may step aside and allow us to see whom they have been protecting. But we don't, we don't try to rush or force getting there. Just like any relationship, it takes time to get to know these parts and for them to trust you, that you're not just going to try to fix them and eradicate them, that you really care about them. And they show you whom they've been protecting, which is usually just a very, very young, vulnerable part of yourself that is holding a lot of burdens. And over time, we can allow that part to unburden those things that it's holding, that she's holding, 
And with that, it's like allowing the clouds to, to move so that this essential nature can shine. And maybe what's been buried in her that hasn't been allowed to be expressed is spontaneity and sensuality and joy and playfulness, acceptance, enthusiasm, creativity, these parts that got stifled at a very young age. So just like the parts of us that feel hard to be with are buried in the dark, our greatness is too. And we need to go on these heroic journeys to revive, to reclaim these lost aspects of ourselves. So all the while, it it helps to remember, to always remember that your essential nature is here. It's intact. Nothing that you've ever done or that's been done to you has diminished that in any way. It's just a matter of You know, at times if your system is flooded and you can't remember that this is true or you can't even believe that this is true, you know, to get support from spiritual friends on the path, people who are further along on the path than you who've been through this themselves to to help hold your hand and help you through these pieces to reclaim, to remember, to revive aspects of yourself so just as the more challenging aspects of ourselves may have been put into shadow like anger like uh, jealousy like sadness so too positive and kind of bright aspects of ourselves may have been put into shadow like we may have gotten the message either overtly or covertly to not shine our light brighter than other people that there's only a certain amount there's only a certain amount of shine that we could bring so that we didn't make other people feel uncomfortable that maybe our enthusiasm or our happiness was not okay that our uh, creativity was not welcome. We had to be more serious. It wasn't okay to be spontaneous. You had to be more controlled and measured, more calm, less expressive. So it can be helpful to look back and it's your childhood and to see You know, what are the messages that you got? What are the role models that you had? And what what aspects of yourself might, might still be in the dark? These little girl aspects that need to be reclaimed. And it's important also that we Look at our relationship with pleasure. 
And pleasure is, uh, it's a hormonal experience. Like if we're in the sympathetic nervous system response, the fight, flight, or freeze. It's also the fawn response, which happens a lot for women where we try to appease and be nice when we feel like we're under threat. There's a hormonal cascade that happens when we're in that nervous system response that feels like stress. And we all know what that feels like, right? Your, your heart rate speeds up, your breath gets more shallow, um, your circulation moves away from your extremities into your core, your vision actually narrows. So you're, you're, you're literally not able to see as much of your environment. Even your hearing narrows. And your prefrontal, prefrontal cortex starts to go offline. So you're actually not able to really think clearly and rationally. You're just in emergency mode. So the body can't heal in this state. We actually can't access our creativity, our gifts when we're in this state. And most of the time, many of us are in this state now, even though we're not running from predators, just the pace of life and technology, even things that we ingest uh, keep us stimulated in, in this sympathetic response. And the parasympathetic response is the opposite of that. It's actually the state in which the body heals and where we can really think creatively and we can access these deeper aspects of ourselves and where different hormones are released that allow us to feel good and to feel pleasure. And pleasure is the antidote to stress. Pleasure heals. Pleasure is deeply, deeply healing. So the more stress we have in our lives, it's not about just eradicating all the stress. Sometimes things are just stressful, right? And then it can be stressful because you realize that it's stressful. And so you get more stressed. So it's about finding the balance. If, if, there's, if there's stress, how can we add in more pleasure? How can we add in more, more things that feel good to help counterbalance that? So we can think about the sympathetic stress response being red, like the red zone, and the parasympathetic response or the pleasure response to be a blue zone. And so one of the things that you can do is start to go through your day and notice, am I in red or am I in blue right now? And if you're in red, you can always find something, even if it's just a little something that feels good. So right now, just go inside your body. And this requires you actually being in your body and feeling your body. So close your eyes and go inside and just notice one thing right now that feels good.
And one of my teachers used to say, if you can't find anything that feels good, that's what your earlobes are for, because your earlobes always feel good. (laughs) So if you can't find anything, notice your earlobes. And then in whatever area feels good, just notice what that feels like. Let yourself really take in what that feels like. And as you're ready, you can slowly open your eyes. So noticing pleasure requires that we be in our bodies. And as we go through our day and just start to notice more blue, it might mean that like we really taste something delicious that we're eating or drinking and really pause and just notice what it feels like to receive that. Just like we did at the beginning of this session when I asked you just to make yourself a little bit more comfortable and then to really receive what that feels like in your body. So just slow down and get present for these little moments of pleasure or, you know, if you're, you're driving, just noticing a view. Or if you're walking, noticing a, a plant and, just, and really just taking in what about that feels pleasurable. And then there can be deeper times of that, like just really cultivating more. And I'm, I'm hesitant to say this because I, I think that it's kind of become a cliche in a lot of women's circle type things and it can feel like another to do but just to cultivate some form of a more intentional relationship with pleasure to really notice what can I add to my day that or my week that's going to be pleasurable and Some examples for that for me have been like different dance classes, um, hike with a girlfriend, listening to music while cooking, like really enjoying the clothes that I'm going to wear on a certain day, having flowers in my house or going to the farmer's market, riding my bike, a practice that Julia Cameron in The Artist's Way advocates is called an artist date so once a week you go somewhere kind of unusual that's out of your usual circuit that feels interesting to you artist dates can be very pleasurable it might just be going to a cafe and writing in your journal but just something that's just away from the the doing the repetitive doing mode that helps you to feel more alive uh, one of my mentors calls it uh, her wild woman time. Just what, what, what does that part of you want to do to just help her feel more expressed and more met? So really seeing pleasure as medicine, pleasure as a healing force. And again, it's not about getting rid of all the stress. It's just, finding the right balance in your system and because a healthy system can toggle between stress and pleasure 
and can come back to center, can come back to equilibrium, can come back to parasympathetic. We, we, can, have, we can have a range of things that we feel, that we experience. But first we need to, to just attune ourselves more, to notice when, when pleasure is here. Another thing is just when you're going to sleep at night, noticing that it's like you're just laying in love. Like your bed is loving you. Your sheets are loving you. Your pillows are loving you. It's just love embracing you, holding you. So this being human, it's, it's not easy. And I know that you don't need me to tell you that. It's, uh, it's a really tricky thing. At times it can be very challenging. And I don't know if any of you saw that the Disney or the Pixar movie on Disney Plus, uh, Soul. And I don't want, don't want to give it away, but there's a, there's a point in there. Well, first, if you haven't seen it, please do. It's a really, really sweet film. But at one point, you know, one of these souls comes to planet Earth and eats pizza for the first time. And it's just like, wow, pizza. <laughs> So just acknowledging like earth is this school of earth is, is a hard school to be in for us as souls. And there's some really, really amazing things here like pizza and like a lot of other things are really incredible. So we can enjoy them and let those be helpers, pleasurable helpers as we um, kind of get burned and polished in different ways, allowing more and more of this, this self-energy to come forward and infuse more of our interactions, more of our, of our state of being. Thank you so much for joining me and for taking this time out for yourself. If you enjoyed today's episode, I'd be very grateful if you'd take a moment to rate and review this podcast. That way other women who might enjoy it can better find it. Also, don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. And until next time, I'm sending you my heartfelt support.